today's message got accidentally deleted, and so they uh, asked me, several of the folks who, who thought it was an important message asked me if I would uh, you know, re, re-record it, so that's the attempt here. So it may feel a little bit different than a, a normal sermon. I'm just going to kind of recap for you uh, what we talked about this week. We're in a series on the Apostle Peter, and we've been talking about uh, just his bold example of faith that he set forth for us and, and the prominent place that he has in Scripture, which has uh, led to him being one of the most famous and recognizable and well-known apostles today. Um, and, you know, he's the he's the subject of, of many jokes, you know. We, we get the pearly gate, St. Peter at the pearly gate jokes, and, and uh, the one we told today was, Oh, you know, the a cab driver and a, and a preacher both show up at the pearly gates. And, and St. Peter hands the cab driver a nice silk robe and a, and a golden rod, a staff, and he heads on into heaven. And the preacher comes up, and he only gets a cotton robe and, and a, just a plain wood staff. And he said, well, what gives? And St. Peter said, well, look, up here we're interested in results. And, and when the cab driver drove people, they prayed. <laughs> and when you preached your sermons, they slept. So there you have it. But we know that uh, there's a lot more to Peter than Burley Gates jokes. And he was a bold example, like we say, of faith. And last week we looked at his calling and, and how Jesus called him out to, to leave a life that Everything he expected to ever be was a fisherman, as his father was, and it was the family trade, and that was it uh, for his whole life long. But Jesus shows up and says, hey, I'm going to make you a fisher of people. We're going to change people's lives. We're going to change the world. And the church has been in the world-changing business ever since. So, Peter, and this week's scripture reading was from Matthew 14, 3 through 33. And I hope that you'll go and take time just to read through that. Maybe you can even pause this recording and just take a moment and read for yourself Matthew 14, 3 through 33. And we'll kind of break that down in a minute. But I asked folks today, now here in West Monroe, we've had just record-setting rainfall in the last week. I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, We've set all the records, and it's resulted in a lot of flooding. And so this kind of hit home today, but I asked everybody, do you know or have you ever seen someone that was drowning? Or maybe you've seen a lifeguard spring into action. Or maybe uh, maybe someone you know or someone you love or someone in your family has drowned or had a near-drowning experience. Drowning is the it's the stuff of our nightmares. It's the stuff of Hollywood films, suspense films. It's uh, something that we don't like to think about. It's not the kind of death any of us would hope to die, and uh, and yet it happens. In fact, it happened in near our community just this last week with all the flooding that we've happened that we've had. But even though it's something so unpleasant, it's something that we use often as a metaphor. In fact, it's the only kind of death that I can think of that we use this way. We say sometimes when life gets overwhelming or our circumstances feel overwhelming, we'll say things like, I just feel like I'm drowning, or I can't keep my head above water, or it feels like I'm just treading water 
These are metaphors that we use about life when life gets tough, when our problems seem too big for us to handle. Sometimes, you know, maybe it's work stress that causes that, or maybe it's, you know, family troubles. Uh, maybe it's grief that's just overwhelming in your life, or maybe it's financial problems. It can be all sorts of different things, relationships, broken. And in those situations, we often just feel overwhelmed by it. And if, if you've never had that experience yet, where you feel like you're drowning in life, then I just would suggest to you stick around, all right? You've been blessed so far, but if you stick around long enough in this broken world, you'll have that feeling of that you're drowning, that the storms of life are going to swallow you whole. There's, they're just Life is too much for you. It just feels overwhelming, like you're just trying to catch your breath. I think this story today about Peter has something to tell us about it. And I believe that there's a way that we can walk on water instead of drowning in it. And I want to share that with you today. So this passage, Matthew 14, 3 through 33, it picks up a little bit later down the road from where we left off last week with the calling of Peter. And by this time, Peter has witnessed some pretty incredible things. He's seen Jesus cast demons out, and those demons call him the Son of God. Wow. He has heard authoritative teaching like nothing he's ever heard before. He's witnessed healings, including the healing of his own mother-in-law. And so here we find Peter a little ways down the road with Jesus. And yet we find that this chapter 14 begins with another mention of John the Baptist, who played a prominent role in the pre-calling of Peter that we looked at last week. And yet here we begin with John the Baptist again. And it appears that for much of Jesus' ministry, John was in prison. He was in prison because of what he had said about the king, the corrupt king of the Jews, and what he had said about the king's wife, whom the wife, whom he had stolen from his brother. And he called John the Baptist had called it what it was. <laughs> he had called it adultery. He had pointed out the sins of the king and the sins of his wife. And they didn't take kindly to that. So they threw him in prison. But that wasn't good enough for Herodias, the wife involved. And we're told that uh, on the king's birthday, she sent her daughter, Salome, to dance before the king. Now, let's not kid ourselves. Let's not be naive. This was not a ballet, all right? This was the his birthday dance for him and his buddies. I'm guessing he, by what he said and what he promised afterwards that he was probably also intoxicated. And he was aroused by the dance. He was charmed by the dance. And in the end, he makes this foolish promise to give her whatever she wants. He probably thought, what could a girl like this want anyway? She asks at her mother's prompting for the head of John the Baptist on a plate. And that's what she got. John's disciples came and they took care of his body. And the next thing they did was to go find Jesus and his disciples, many of whom would have been their friends, and tell them what happened to John. And we can imagine 
how that news must have struck Jesus and his disciples. For Jesus, his cousin, this prophet who had paved the way for him and meant so much to him, lost in a tragic way, and he hadn't been able to do anything to stop it. For the disciples, this was their mentor. Many of them, this was the man they followed first. Doubtless he had baptized the whole lot of them. He was gone. So Jesus says, hey, let's let's get away. I mean, that's what you'd want to do, right? And if you lost someone that close to you, you'd want to get away and have some alone time away from the crowds, away from all the madness of the ministry they were doing. And so they set off in a boat and they looked for a quiet place. But word went before them. And as they docked their boat in what they had hoped would be a solitary place, they found a huge crowd of people. We're told 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus, even at a time like that, takes compassion on these people. He begins healing and teaching as he is prone to do. But eventually the disciples come to him and say, don't you think it's about time to send everyone home? I mean, it's dinner time. Jesus says, no, let's feed them something first. Feed them what? It's a lot of people. <clears throat> Peter, Peter's brother, Andrew, goes and he finds this boy with some loaves of bread and some fish. And Jesus miraculously, famously multiplies this out and feeds the whole crowd from this one small lunch. And there's leftovers. <laughs> it's, a, it's a miracle. And... We're told then that Jesus goes ahead and he sends his disciples on. He made them, he says, get in the boat and go on without him. I don't know if he felt like, boy, they've had all they can take and they really need some alone time to just process their grief. And so he sent them on while he did the work of sending the crowd away. Or maybe he wanted some really alone time. Because we're told that after the crowd left, Jesus went up on the mountainside and just spent some time with the Father. Either way, by the time Jesus goes to join his disciples, they're a good distance from the land, but they're stuck because a headwind has come on and, and the wind was against them and the waves were against them and they were just kind of stalled out there. And Jesus just heads off across the lake. Again, another, another miracle. He's just walking on the water, as we say. And the disciples begin to see this figure approaching them, and they begin to just freak out. We're told that they started yelling, it's a ghost. Which, you know, just an aside real quick, let's just point out that they had a concept in the first century in Judea of ghosts. They knew what ghosts were, okay? And I just want to point out that when Jesus, down the road here, we're not there yet, and it's not Easter Sunday, but when Jesus resurrects, what you would expect them to believe that it was, was a ghost when they saw Jesus. But that's not what they describe. They describe something far more physical, and no one suggests that it's a ghost. They can touch him. They ate breakfast with him. He was real. He was physical. So let's just point out, they had a concept of ghosts, and they would have known it was a ghost if it had been a ghost, but they knew that it was not. 
We'll talk more about proof of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. But anyhow, the disciples in the boat freaking out, saying, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, take courage, it's I. Well, Peter speaks up. He says, if it really is you, Lord, then tell me to come out on the water and join you. And I can just see the other disciples probably slowly turning their head with their eyebrows cocked up and saying, what did you just say? Did he just say what I think he said? I mean, what a crazy, bold thing to say. And Jesus just says, come, come on. And Peter does. He, he's, we're told he stepped down out of the boat onto the water, and he began to walk towards Jesus on the water. Then we're told that when he saw the wind, he became afraid, and he began to sink. And Jesus had to rescue him. And when he pulled him up, Jesus said to him, Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? This is an amazing account. And there's been a lot of sermons preached about it. I mean, probably you've heard this sermon preached before. <laughs> and usually when I hear this this in a sermon, usually the sermon is about being bold for Christ, being willing to step out of the boat, out of your comfort zones, do something great for the kingdom. And that's really, I mean, in the on the whole, what this series is about is being bold in our faith. And, and definitely that fits, and it's true. And the church needs more people to be bold in their faith, to try things that may fail, to risk failure for the sake of the kingdom, to do some things that no one else is doing. Absolutely. But I want, I want to take us in a little different direction today. I want to take us in that direction of what about those times when we feel like we're drowning? I want to take you to what happens after Peter gets out of the boat. And he's on this choppy sea, the wind raging all around him and the water everywhere. And, and he's walking out there on the water. I mean, let's not forget, he took, he may have sunk like a rock, which, by the way, I think was probably had to have become an inside joke with the disciples, right? I mean, doubtless Peter was proud of the nickname Jesus gave him, right? Peter, the rock. And, but he just know that uh, the disciples had to bring him back down to earth after this and just say, look, man, we, you're definitely a rock. <laughs> we saw you sinking like a rock. <laughs> but Peter also took more steps than anyone in that boat. So what can we learn from Peter about walking on water? Surely we can see, you know, what was Peter doing that before he sank? And then what did he do that caused him to sink? And, and let's start with that. What, what went wrong for Peter out there on that sea as he was walking along? And we're told that the thing that happened that preceded his sinking was that he saw the wind. No, and then he was afraid. No, you don't actually see wind. No one can see the wind, but we can see the effects of the wind. So doubtless, as Peter looked around, he saw waves as a result of the wind. He saw the boat rocking. He saw probably mist 
being blown up from the water, stinging his face. He saw it, and his circumstances were overwhelming, and they felt impossible, and he began to sink. Now, what did he do right? What was going on different before that, before he saw the wind? Well, this is just my theory, but look, I mean, when you're out on the open water, there's only so much to see, right? It's just water, and uh, and in this case, a boat, and the waves, and maybe some mist blowing through the air, and Jesus. Jesus is the only other thing I can think of that would have been out there on the water at that time with him to occupy his attention, besides what was going on with the wind. So my theory is, my belief is that Peter, you know, Jesus had come. And he stepped out with his eyes fixed on Jesus. The one who had told him to come. The one who, man, they were trying to figure out, is this a ghost or what? The, the one who said it is, I take courage. And he began to walk towards Jesus. But somewhere along the way, he began to think about instead of Jesus' power, the impossible, overwhelming nature of his circumstances, and his focus shifted, and he began to see what was going on around him. What kind of circumstances overwhelm you? Is it one of those that we talked about, like work stress or family stress or financial stress or maybe grief? And at times it threatens to overwhelm you, to swallow you whole. You feel like you're drowning. The lesson that I feel is here for us today is that when we fix our eyes on Jesus instead of the wind, that's when we'll walk on water. Or to make it more practical, when we fix our eyes on Jesus instead of our problems, instead of our circumstances, that's when we'll walk in peace. When we fix our eyes on Jesus instead of our problems, that's when we walk in peace. Because as long as our focus and our attention is riveted to how overwhelming our circumstances are, they'll always be overwhelming. But when we fix our attention on the one who has the power to overcome and see us through those circumstances, then that's when we'll be, we'll be focused on his power and not our problems on his love for us and not our problems, on the one who can identify with what it feels like to feel like you're drowning because Jesus faced all the struggles that we face and more. He knows what it is to face difficult circumstances, if anyone does. But he also has the power to overcome, to overcome them. So here's what I want to suggest, you know Here's the deal. Walking on water has more to do with your eyes than it does with your feet. Walking on water has more to do with your eyes than it does with your feet. Think about that. I don't know what circumstances you might be facing today, but I, I don't believe what many preach today 
that if you follow God, everything will be rosy and he'll fix all your problems and all your circumstances will be better and you'll be better off than people that don't follow God. And in my experience and in what I read in the Bible, you know, it rains on the godly and the ungodly, you know, the just and the unjust. But the difference should be in how we handle it. See, we all face difficult circumstances. And like we said, if you stick around long enough in this broken world, you will experience what it feels like to be drowning in your circumstances. But the believer, the, the Christ follower, the difference should be in how we handle it. And when the world looks at us and sees, wow, they're going through a difficult season, and yet they can see us handling it with grace and with a strength that, that, that defies logic. They wonder, how are they doing that? And that gives us an opportunity to be a witness for the power of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people, they look at this, kind of, this part of Christianity and, and they call it a, a crutch. They call Christianity a crutch. They say that we make up all this Jesus stuff. So that, you know, for, it's for the people who aren't strong enough to handle life, the ones who aren't big and bad and bold enough to handle life on their own. And so we have to make up this little Jesus story to, to help us through. It's a crutch. Well, they can call it a crutch. I call it power. The greatest power this world has ever known, real power. And I'll tell you this. Anyone who thinks that they're big and bad and strong enough to handle life, anything that life throws their way, <laughs> stick around. I, uh, to me, that's the epitome of foolishness. Stick around, and, and soon enough you'll find out the truth. And in the end, we'll write your eulogy too. Absolutely. Life is guaranteed to throw you more than you can handle at some point. Jesus says, keep your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me, not on your circumstances that can seem so overwhelming, but on the one who has the power to see you through. And in church this morning, we invited people to step out of the boat, in a sense, and do something that maybe they weren't come that comfortable with, but to come down front and to say, yeah, this is me right now in my life, and I just feel overwhelmed by it. And many came down and we just as a church reached our hands out to him and we prayed over him and if that's you today I want to pray over you as well and I want to say Father thank you so much for your power for your love and your compassion thank you for not staying far away but for sending Jesus to become so real to us and to experience just how overwhelming this life can be, and to overcome it, so that now we can fix our eyes on Jesus instead of our problems, and we can have hope, and we can find peace. And Lord, I pray for anyone listening who might be struggling with life right now, and they feel like they're drowning in it. God, Holy Spirit, fill their life in a fresh, new, and special way today. Let them know that you are stronger than any storm in their life. Help them to have the faith to fix their eyes on you. Wash away the doubts that plague them and, and, and tempt them to, 
change their focus and to shift their focus away from you and onto their problems. God, help them to focus on you and may the world see something different about the way we handle difficult times. And may you receive the glory for it. We pray it by the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen.